it all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. We have got a, we have got a, 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 a more compact but very mighty crowd today. A very mighty crowd. Yes. Uh, we're happy to have you. Uh, Helen, how are you? I'm very well, Jakey. Now, Helen, uh, I should note that we get uh, feedback from our listeners. We're very uh, grateful for our listeners and when they, when they send us tweets. And I, I got a tweet recently that I thought uh, would lead me to clearing something up. Okay. Uh, someone said, I love the show. And, uh, well, of course, then thank you. Um, <laughs> But they said, uh, when are Jay and Helen going to do a show where they compete against each other? Uh-oh. Uh, and I wrote back, as soon as Jay Keith uh, changes his name to Jay. Yeah. Because uh, apparently, which I didn't mean is to be as, as, as snarky, but the person says, the person seemed to be gobsmacked, not knowing that my, my name is not Jay. They thought it was J-A-Y. Oh. So I thought perhaps it would be a chance to, to clear some that things is, up. I could see why there's some confusion there. Because right. if, you're just, if you're just listening via audio, you might right. think Jay Keith is J-A-Y-Keith, right. which it, it is, is not. not. It no. is J dot Keith. And then I, I sometimes put a space between the dot and the Keith as well. Ooh. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm going the there. Space is a, yeah, that's yeah, your Yeah, so, uh, so for those who don't know, my, my, uh, my birth name is James. I was named after my grandfather, ah. uh, who my parents uh, liked enough to name me after, but not uh, enough to actually call me by the name. So I was. Wait, uh, so they named you James, but they yeah. didn't want to call you James. Exactly. They named me a name that they did not care for. Oh, so what yeah. did what did they call and, you when you were little? And, and that that is pretty much is the the essence of Jewish guilt. They did it because <laughs> they did it they did it out of tradition. So no, so I was always called Keith, and I never used the I only used the name on legal documents, which I had a lot of growing up as a child. But then people in college started calling me Jay Keith, and I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. Oh wow. Yeah, but people of course know you as Helen Hong. Correct. But there's another name involved in your life as well. Yes. So my middle name is actually my very original Korean name, which is Hesung. One which, more time. Hesung. Now that sounds like hazel to my American ears, but it's not that. It is not hazel. It is. It is. If you saw it spelled, your brains would explode. Uh, it's Hesung, which apparently for Americans is very difficult to pronounce. So I learned on the first day of first grade when my parents tried to introduce me to my first grade teacher, and she was like, hey, what? <laughs> and that's when they said, just call her Helen. Oh, so again, a so, great tradition. Here we are. Yes, yes, yeah. we're, we're modern, modern people yeah. with our own so names. So I'm actually Triple H, but apparently there's a wrestler with that <laughs> nickname, so yeah. I can't, my nickname can't be Triple H unless I take out this wrestler. I uh, would like to see that. Yeah. I would like to see that, and I think we all would. All right, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is an Emmy Award-winning comedian, writer, and producer. It's Sarah Schaefer. Sarah Schaefer. Sarah. So nice to see you, Sarah. Have a seat right there. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Now, I understand that you and Helen know each other from uh, long ago. Yes. Stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy. Yeah. Years and years and years. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, I hope <laughs> we you don't We don't speak of those times now. It <laughs> <laughs> was like yeah, an act is. of silence. Yes. I understand there were a lot of labyrinths and riddles you had to solve <laughs> in, in order to get past trolls. Um, 
Sarah, you are much taller in person than I would have guessed. Oh, thank you so much. Not necessarily a compliment. I don't know why that is. Um, <laughs> okay. No, no do, do you get that a lot, though? Are people surprised at, at your height? I get, what I get that is always confusing to me is people going, are you taller now? Like when they see me again, they're like, did you get taller? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I stopped time. growing like 20 years ago. It's, oh, yeah. so it's not people who knew you as a child yeah. and then they're asking now. No, it's just like people will, I get that a lot. Like, did yeah. you get taller? And I will say my posture has improved, so maybe I oh, did get taller. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. There's a lesson out there. I, out. I never get asked that, ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish Have you gotten I would. shorter, Helen? It's, it's very possible yeah. because yeah. my- Shorter? Yeah. It's like that well, my, tone, yeah. my posture is going the opposite way. I'm just going to be a hunched over C in about five years. Huh? Yeah. Uh, Helen introduced you as an Emmy Award winner, uh, and you won an Emmy for, in, in a very interesting category. Tell yeah, it's that. one of the nerdiest categories I think you can possibly win. It was um, create Outstanding Achievement, Outstanding Creative Achievement in Interactive Media Nonfiction. <laughs> All right. The nerds here appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Now, uh, when they when you got your Emmy, was that actually all yeah, it's on stamped there. onto the yeah. Emmy? Did they wow. have room for your name? My name is okay. On it's there, on there yeah. as well. Yeah. But this was yeah. actually for blogging. You won an Emmy yeah, for blogging. for running all the internet uh, uh, interactive media for uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. That's amazing. When the show first came out ten years ago. Wow. I, and I years. remember that. And yeah. I remember being really excited for you. Thank and you. Then, yeah. And then being like, wait, it's for what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you also were nominated though as a writer on a, a trivia game show that people know. I was, and I like completely forget about that. I, <laughs> I have it in my notes, though. I can tell you what it was. Yeah, you remember. yeah, yeah. I believe it was, it was called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah, a little show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> Daytime Emmy Award nominee right here. Like, I literally did not. And the nomination came like a year after I'd worked there. And I was like, what? Like, it was so <laughs> exciting. <laughs> Wait, did you write questions? Yeah, I wrote questions for that show. And oh answers? I did write that's the answers. The hard part. As I've well. been writing trivia for a while. The yeah. answers are the hard part. No, yeah. that's, uh, that's great. Are, are you no? Are you a trivia fan? Are you a trivia buff? Um, well, it's sort of writing for that show made me realize a lot of things about trivia, which is that most trivia shows uh, that you see on TV. I, don't, I can't speak for like radio because that's a little like higher level, but like the the knowledge is actually pretty um, common. Mm. So like, my job was to write questions about basically 10 topics you know I mean it was very challenging actually because they loved they were like you write good art questions <laughs> but there's only 10 paintings that everyone knows <laughs> so here go write new questions that have never been asked on this entire franchise yeah uh, oh. that and so it's called the Mona what yeah exactly <laughs> I mean so there was a lot of um I learned that when people play trivia they want to think that they should know the answer mm -hmm. Um, so you have to work within a sort of like framework that everyone, because it, it's so easy to write questions that are too hard. Right. Right. Um, and so, so you that. Don't you don't recommend that on a show people write questions about a very specific topic that someone's chosen, for instance. Oh, oops. <laughs> well, Awkward. that's why I'm really excited to be doing oh, this thank show. thank you. Well, like, around. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. And we're certainly happy to talk yeah. to you about your topics. We're certainly happy to have you. Sarah Schaefer, ladies Yay. and gentlemen. Yay. Helen, against whom will Sarah be competing? He is a comedian, actor, and podcaster who can be seen every Monday in Los Angeles hosting the comedy show Hot Tub. It's Kurt Brownoller. Kurt Brownoller. Hello. Welcome, Welcome Kurt. Kurt. Hello. 
And Kurt, I understand you and Sarah know each other. Yes, yeah. of course we know yeah. each other. Tell we us about e how you know each other, and in I fact, how you got her to do this show. Uh, again, from stand-up comedy, and I got her to do the show by asking her. Oh! A little behind Amazing. the scenes of glamorous show business. Uh, now, Kurt, you and I actually met uh, on another piece of show business. We were on a pilot. Do you remember this? Oh, uh, it, it's a nightmare. That's oh. a, that was a nightmare for I'm me. I'm happy to see you again as well. Yeah. No, no, no. You know what I had to do. I do. Well, what? let's explain this. So I was the host of this pilot, and you had to go out and do certain uh, activities. Pranks. Explain what that was. Yes. Yeah. Th this, oh, I'm already upset. Was, oh, oh. I, I am very upset. This was, uh, I guess it was based on a show that existed in, in, in the UK, but the character was called Mr. Stinks, mm -hmm. and uh, they took this suit that I wore and soaked it in um, coyote urine, no. uh, skunk spray, no. uh, and like 15 other things. This oh, fish, cannot fish be oil. real. This it was, was real. totally real. Oh my God, are you and serious? I had to put it on. Yes, and yes. I had to wear it, and I had to wear it like all day long, and it smelled so bad, and then they would set me up on blind dates with women. No. Yeah. And then uh, like just see when they would leave. And hilarity ensued. <laughs> oh my God! How did they go? Uh, it it was it was so it was so upsetting. I, also, I learned that dating is very hard in New York City. Um, because I like I could have told you that. Because you got a lot of second dates, I imagine. Out of like still. <laughs> out of like four people that we did it to, two just didn't say anything. Oh. And I was like, we just kept trying to be like, this is. It was so offensive. Like I was always like. Oh. Yeah. Wait, how did you get through that? Did you put something under your nose? Did you have nose plugs? No, I just was miserable. Ah. Um, Again, glamorous, glamorous. Very show glamorous. And, the, and, our, and, the, and where I changed, it was like February, so it was like tw 20 degrees out, and I had to change either on the street or in the back of a car. No. Oh, it was so upsetting. Yeah. Wow. That's fun. Now, uh, things, of course, have picked up for you. You played at big crowds all the time. To, uh, today, we're taping on a, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon. Our crowd is mighty, but a little more compact than we usually have. But uh, you recently played to an even smaller crowd than we have today. I love that this is what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did a show in Flagstaff, Arizona, where the venue just didn't list that the show existed. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and I, and it is the smallest crowd that I've ever done a full hour of stand-up for. It was three people. Oh, wow. my God. Wait, did the, did the venue demand that you do the full hour, or did you go, I'm doing the full hour? Oh, I, I've always come from the school of, like, one person shows up, you do the, your best, you wow. know? Good yeah. for you. And did so, three yeah. people know each other? Those three, yeah, they, they came they together. They came together, oh, okay. Wow. So really oh. just one. Yeah. yeah, so really just one person. <laughs> it reached one person. One person brought two other people. <laughs> you, did, you did your act. Like, you did your full act that you would have done if it had been sold out. Yeah, and those three people are fans for life. Oh, absolutely. They That's got a private. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Oh, it was a great show because yeah. I was just talking to them yeah. the entire time. Yeah. You knew their names, you knew their hometowns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, Sarah and Helen, you've done uh, stand up for a while. Have either of you had, a, had an experience like that? Um, you know, of course, you always get the shows that have like two or three people in them, but I don't think I've ever headlined for a full hour to two or three people. Uh, I have. You have? Yeah. One of the first college gigs I ever got. Um, which was way too, it was like at the time, way too much money for me at that level. Like it was just such a weird, like the, the person who brought me knew me. 
like oh. she was a student and she like convinced them let's bring this comedian. Oh, you were so yeah. you were really green. And yeah, I was I was I hadn't really done that much before and I went and like she we pulled into the campus and there was a guy just standing on the quad peeing and I was like what's going on that's crazy and she's like oh it's like senior day everyone's drunk and I was like hmm is this a good day to have a comedian come to them <laughs> and like literally two people came and like I was such a fool like I brought like a camera I was like I'm gonna film it this is gonna be like <laughs> this is gonna be amazing and it was just such a disaster I but, love it but experiences like that make you a better performer don't they I mean... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the always optimistic Sarah Schaefer and Kurt Brownell, ladies and gentlemen. We're happy you're here. All right, Sarah and Kurt, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Sarah, you selected Joni Mitchell, Crafting, and Tudor England. <laughs> oh, I'm a nerd. Uh, whereas, Kurt, you went with science fiction literature... Nietzsche, and this will track movies featuring both Corey's Haim and Feldman. <laughs> nice. I, I assumed when I was like 12, I assumed everyone was obsessed with the Corey's. And um, Nietzsche. And <laughs> Nietzsche came later. Nietzsche. Yeah, Nietzsche, excuse Nietzsche. me. Oh, excuse uh, ma. <laughs> but the Corey's were to me, like in New Jersey, I was just like, oh, this is, this is the height of art. Um, and this is perfect in every way, shape, and form. And awesome. I watched every movie, other than, I think, one of their movies. All right, together. well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the phrase, Corey's Heyman <laughs> film. I love it. <laughs> I think that's grammatically correct. Yes. I believe yeah. so, like, like, as in the brothers Karamazov, right. the Corey's Heyman Feldman. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, we're going to uh, ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics later, but first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. Your topic today, mail. First up in mail, Sarah. Sarah, they're both handled by the U.S. Postal Service, but what is the difference between certified mail and registered mail? Oh, oh well, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously, um, yes. Um, I would guess that certified mail is um, when uh, it's an important piece of mail that is officially uh, certified as mail. Like, they look at it and they're like, this is definitely a piece of mail. And okay. they check yeah. off a little box. Because without that certification, yeah. it's anyone's right. game. Right. Anyone's guess as to right. whether that's mail or not. And registered mail mm -hmm. is if your mail is, like, super original and you want to make sure that no one else copies your mail. That's the difference, obviously. I mean... Okay. I didn't realize so this was going to be so easy. If you have easy. original artistic integrity in your mail, yeah. and you want to preserve that. You register that, it. You want like, to register it. My as mail. you might at, at the mail yeah. sender's guild. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or with a copyright lawyer. Yeah. Well, we certainly have Sarah's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Kurt, if you don't think she's got it right, you can steal. What do you think? You know what? I, I, I love that answer, but I am going to try and steal. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think certified mail is when it's, uh, it, it's guaranteed, like you, you, you have a delivery notification and you can buy insurance, mm -hmm. and registered is just when you have a delivery notification, but you can't buy insurance. Okay. I well, hate to be boring, but I yeah. think that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> Uh, 
<laughs> Sarah, are you upset about his that being boring good. or his perhaps being correct? It was a good answer. It was a good answer. All right, well, this segment needs to be delivered. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. According to the United States Post Office Inspector General, certified mail is mail that the recipient must sign for. The USPS keeps a copy of the recipient's signature on file as proof of delivery for two years from the date of mailing. Registered mail is shipped under greater security. When not in transit, registered mail must be stored in a locked safe room or cage separated from other mail. Every step of the delivery chain is documented. It's designed for sending valuable items and is more expensive. That's right. So the main difference is that certified mail must be signed for on delivery, but registered mail is signed for every time it changes hands, plus those safes and cages. Yeah, so nothing really about artistic originality, no, I'm afraid. But Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? Well, Kurt did say you get notification because it's signed for, so I'm going to give him a half a point for that. Half a point for Kurt. Uh, all right, up next in mail, Kurt. Kurt, they're both male, they're both bovine, but what is the difference between a bull and an ox? A bull and an ox. All right, great question, great thing that you asked. Thank uh, you. Because uh, ox, ox mm -hmm. are neutered mm -hmm. and bulls have their testicles. That's what I think. Okay, <laughs> and if not, very entertaining. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't understand if I'm supposed to be funny or just give an answer because I love yeah, I love I love both, giving but answers. I don't want to, uh, put a, no, yeah, there's no. no pressure, no pressure <laughs> at all. Uh, all right, we have Kurt's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Sarah, what do you think? Um, I'm gonna say that a bull is a generic term to describe the male uh, version of specific types of cattle type animals. Okay. And that ox is an actual type of animal, like a Species, like a species, but Whoa. that bull is a generic descriptor. So in other that's words, just my guess. That's your guess. Okay, yeah. uh, Kurt, you were about to say something about that. I, I just like that answer. Oh, he likes that answer <laughs> as well. I mean, I, I think I'm really rooting for Sarah to win at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, it's time to drive this segment to the slaughterhouse. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts: A bull is a male member of the bovine taxonomic family. In other words cattle. It's the same thing as a cow, except it's male. An ox is simply a bull that has been castrated. Oh. Oh. Yeah, a lot of ooh for castration, it turns out. Ooh. That's right. And a bull that is castrated and is younger than four is called a steer. If it's older than four and castrated, it's an ox. Now, a steer usually ends up on the dinner table, and the ox usually gets put to work pulling something, for instance, an ox cart. Also, all this talk about castration really makes me want to move along. Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? I'm going to say that's two points for Kurt. I think so as well. Congratulations, Kurt. What is our score at the end of that first round? At the end of that round, Sarah Schaefer has zero points, and Kurt Brownaller has two and a half points. <laughs> but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself! <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsor. Helen, we're all going to die! Why? What happened? Oh, nothing. It's just that we're all going to die eventually. Ugh, Jake Look, nobody likes to think about it, but none of us is going to be around forever. And you got to plan for the inevitable. Mm, that does make sense. And did you know that in California, if you don't plan your estate by setting up a trust during your lifetime, then your heirs will likely have to go through probate proceedings? Probate proceedings? What's that? Well, it's a whole convoluted legal process for distributing your assets after you die, and it is expensive. In California, probate includes attorney fees and personal representative fees, 
and filing fees, appraisal fees, publication fees. So many fees. Is there any way to avoid it? I'm so glad you asked, because setting up a trust is intended to help you avoid probate and gives more of what you've earned to the people you want to have it. But who should set up my trust? Again, I'm so glad you asked. I recommend Andrew Wolfberg of CA Trusts. Not only has he been a lawyer since 1995, but his focus is exclusively estate planning and trusts. Plus, he's sponsoring this show, so he's got to be a good guy. Good point, Helen. For more information, including a free consultation, visit catrust.com. That's C-A, as in California, trusts.com. Oh, should we be very clear that he is admitted to practice in California only, and that this advertisement is intended for California residents only, and that this advertisement should not be considered legal advice? I'm very glad you asked that, Helen. Yes. <laughs> CA Trusts, it's time to take care of your family's future. Thank, Thank you, CA Trusts. Hey, it's Janet Varney of the JV Club Podcast, and I am so excited to be joining Maximum Fun. If you're not yet familiar with the JV Club, it's a podcast with me and some of my favorite women, and in the summer, men, as we explore the highs and lows of our terrible teenage years into what I like to call our adult lessons. For example, you can hear about Allison Bree's humiliating moment at a gymnastics competition. You can hear about Jesse Thorne's incredibly salty language in English class. Or let Busy Phillips tell you how she met Sharon Stone at an Arizona toy fair, somehow. You can join me and all my once awkward friends every Thursday by subscribing to the JV Club at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Sarah Schaefer with zero points and Kurt Brownaller with two and a half points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Sarah has some chance to get some points on the board, but first of your many interests, you told us that you know a lot about Joni Mitchell, Crafting, and Tudor England. Let's talk about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Joni Mitchell. Yeah, I love Joni Mitchell. Great. I you also know. <laughs> Tell us a little bit you more about that. You love her music. No, I you love, love her ethos. Uh, you like her art. I love Joni. Um, big fan of hers. Truly always on my playlist, always in rotation. Uh, my dad introduced me to her music when I was a teenager, and just she just she's a poet and an artist, and she's kind of she's kind of like a she's kind of wild. Yeah. So uh, it, was your dad super cool? Like, why did you trust him? <laughs> no. Um, my dad just liked. I just we just bonded a lot on music. We liked the same type of music. Oh, wow. Like that was. Uh, yeah. Do you have a favorite Joni Mitchell song? Uh, yes, it's called Hajira. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the title track of her album, Hajira, and it's just one of the most beautiful just lyrics I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> uh, you also said you know a lot about crafting. Yes, I love crafting. It's my hobby. I have a craft nook in my home. You do? I do. It has yeah. all my supplies displayed in an adorable manner. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. That, uh, uh, yeah. Yes, applause. Applause for uh, a nook. By uh, the way, we covered uh, the difference between a nook and a, what was the other Cranny. Thing? And a cranny in our last episode, <laughs> so this is very timely. Mine is definitely more of a nook. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I love crafting. What kind of crafting? What's your favorite well, kind? Well, I go through phases. Right now, I'm very into cross-stitch. Um, very into it. Do you own a bedazzler? No, but I used one over Christmas break, and it was amazing. Life-changing. Yes. What did I, you bedazzle, dare I ask? I bedazzled my album cover of oh. my new album that's coming out in, or it should be out now. 
Wait, you <laughs> the, you're a stand-up comedy album. Yeah. And you bedazzled the cover. Art? Yeah, so it's called Live, Laugh, Love. And uh, it's a, one of those wooden signs with different fonts because I have a joke about those signs. And then my name is Bedazzled Jewels and on the sign. you bedazzled it yourself? Yeah, we, I made the sign myself with the help of my boyfriend because he's more of an artist than I am. I'm more of a crafter. He's more of an artist. What? Why do you not own your own bedazzling gun? Yeah. Well, it's easier I'm, to rent. I mean, I think it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> His mom, who is like an expert crafter, like had it. She has like no joke a 15-foot quilting machine, sewing machine. That is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Is that really why you're staying in the relationship? Yes. So okay. I can like hopefully somehow inherit the <laughs> quilting machine. If someone ha- has the hookup with a great bedazzling machine, yeah. I think someone should buy you a bedazzling machine. I think so too. <laughs> Please, let's get a Kickstarter started to buy Sarah a bedazzler. All right, and then finally, you said you know a lot about Tudor England. This is the one that's shakiest, because okay. Tudor, Tudor England, I mean, it's so vast. Like, it's yeah. just such an enormous topic. It's like a period of history. Um, but I'm just, like, kind of into it, you mm-hmm. know? Ever since I was a teen, just, like, loved anything to do with Tudor England. I mean, not like, you know, I definitely would not have wanted to live during that time. Because no. it just sounds like a really bad deal for so women. So many beheadings. Um, yeah. <laughs> Unless you were Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth was the only one that, like, managed to figure it out out of how many? I mean, a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. She's the only woman that, like, had it okay. And she still struggled. Yeah. Yeah. She She still struggled. She she spent her early years, like, maybe getting beheaded, possibly. Yeah, she's her whole... Uh, rain, even the end was difficult. What, what about Tudor England appeals to you uh, specifically? Oh, just the costumes. Mm. And no, <laughs> um, it is a lot to do with the aesthetic of it. Like, I just love that kind of stuff. The Kings and the drama of it and like the violence. Love violence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I love, uh, I don't know. I think part of it is the art that came out of that mm. time and Shakespeare and, yeah. and and just all the movies about it, I, I just am drawn to it. All right, so to sum up, you said you know a lot about Joni Mitchell, crafting, and Tudor England. Today we want to quiz you about, sorry about this, Tudor England. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sure you'll do very well. We've had many oh. people who, 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 we've had many guests on the show who said one topic was our shakiest, and that's what we quizzed them about, and they did very well. So okay. a lot of pressure on you to keep that streak alive. Oh, um, Lord. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about this. Now, I have to confess, uh, I thought Tudor was a kind of house. It is. Yeah, but I thought that's all it was. I didn't okay. know I didn't know that it actually covered over 100 years of history. I yeah. thought it was a type of car. There's like your four-door and your two-door. A Tudor, yeah. <laughs> hey! Yeah. Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Very good, Kurt. <laughs> That'll get three people out. Uh, now, uh, uh, have you studied uh, this era, or besides just being a fan of um, it? From, just, uh, just from a casual standpoint, from a casual standpoint. Not, not seriously. And no. have you visited England? I have. The first time was this year, or last year. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, and uh, what, what did you discover there that uh, tickled your fancy? Oh, the, I went to the Globe, and yeah. I went to the Tower of London, mm-hmm. and it was just, whew, and yeah, it was great. Awesome. Just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in Tudor England to test your mastery of the subject with an expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Kurt, do listen closely, because if Sarah answers incorrectly and you know the correct answer, you can steal. By the way, Kurt, how much do you know about Tudor England? (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Here's your first question, Sarah Schaefer. Known for the many executions that took place during her short reign, the first ruling Tudor queen had what nasty nickname, which then became the name of a popular boozy brunch drink? Bloody Mary. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. There is some debate about that. 
about, about was which. she as bloody as they say? Oh, okay. Anyway. But she was definitely called that. I mean, we can take yes. away the point if you want. Ooh. No, no, no. No, okay, we'll keep it there then. Uh, fun fact, I only have Bloody Marys when I'm at an airport or a golf course. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Did you That's know that wonderful. when you studied Tudor England? No, I did not know that. No, it never came up. I don't know why. something that feels very, you know, oh, I'm traveling or I'm having a steak sandwich. Yeah. Our fun facts are in quotes here. <laughs> it is a fact, so we're at least halfway there. Yeah. Here's question number two. Music was a big part of Tudor England. One tune from this era was so popular at the time that Shakespeare mentioned it several times in one of his plays, and the tune remains popular to this day, most commonly as the melody of the Christmas carol, What Child Is This? What is the original title of this Tudor pop song? Oh, man. Um, You do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Yeah, I'll take the hint. Helen, how about that first hint? It ain't red pant legs. Green sleeves. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. You made a little bit of a face when you first heard the hint, but then you put it together. Well done. Exhaling and smiling is what we like to see on the show. I would have said the red pantaloons. <laughs> I was about, yeah, I was about to say, like, blue bodice or something. And uh, yeah. You're two for two. Here's question number three. The Church of England renounced papal authority and joined the Protestant Reformation sweeping Europe in the 16th century. After this, many English homes began to include a tiny secret room designed to hide a person with a specific job. What was that job? I'm going to say bishop. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. Kurt with a chance to steal. Sweeper. Sweeper room. Was it sweeper, Helen? It was not sweeper. No. Audience, want to tell us? Friar. Priest, priest is correct. Priest is correct. Yeah, you were on the right it's track. A, it's the same. A bishop is field. a priest. A, a bishop, bishop is a priest. A priest. <laughs> That's true, but the room was named a priest hole. A priest oh, hole. Yeah, I love a good the, priest hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, or as Helen says, fact. The, uh, the Catholic Church was outlawed, and wealthy families who were loyal Catholics built special hiding places for the priests called priest holes. Uh, all right, let's see if you can bounce back with this one, Sarah. Number four, when you're Queen of England, you get to knight people. What English explorer was knighted by Queen Elizabeth in 1581 after becoming the second man to circumnavigate the globe? Raleigh. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. Kurt with a chance to steal. Sir Edward Martin. <laughs> Oh, good old Eddie Mark. I'm just putting Anglican names together. Yeah, no, no, that's a a very good guess. But is that correct, Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. No, no, no. It was Sir Francis Drake. Uh, That was Sir Francis Drake. Classic explorer. Classic explorer. (laughs) Now he is credited as the second to lead an expedition around the world, but he is kind of the first. Uh, Magellan was credited as the first, but he died halfway through the trip, so the rest of his crew made it the rest of way without him. Uh, Also, fun fact: I've stayed at the Sir Francis Drake Hotel in San Francisco. Oh. Applause! Applause for my having stayed at a hotel. Thank you. I got it. I got it for free for my IHG credit card. It came with a free night at a uh, at a certain category. Okay, there you go. Now we're on board. Uh, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, Tudor England. All right. Here's question number five. Tudor portraits often show women wearing large hoop skirts. What were these hoop skirts called? You do have a second hint available if you'd like. Is this my fifth question? This is your fifth question. Hint. Hint Helen, me. Helen, hint her. If you broke up the word into three smaller words, it would mean distant, narrow, strong wind. Oh, uh, hold on, hold on. Distant, narrow, strong wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something gale. Mm. Far, narrow, far mm-hmm. skin gale. <laughs> far skin gale. Is it far skin gale? Far skinny gale. Far skinny gale, Helen. Farthingale. Is it Farthingale, Helen? Farthingale. It is Farthingale. Farthingale. 
Yes. Workshop it. That's, oh. that's what we do on this show. That I've never was... even heard that word. I love that. That was so fun. That was really great. Very well oh. done. Excellent, excellent so use of It would have been really tragic if you had stayed with Far Skinny Gale. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah. oh, so close. Uh, all right, you bounced back very well in that round, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <laughs> this question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Henry VIII was the second tutor to rule England, even though he had two older siblings. For up to three points, what was his older sister's name? What was his older brother's name? And what was the name of his older brother's wife, who later married Henry VIII? The brother is named Edward. Edward, all right. And his sister's name was Mary was Mary, okay. They just keep repeating these names during the Tudor time, yeah, so that's why chance. I'm just guessing. Edward, Mary. Yeah, it probably wasn't Carlos, so, you know. Yeah, it, it probably was well, yeah, yeah, it wasn't like Tish. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Edward, Mary, and the, the wife mm-hmm. who he later married. Right. So it's going to be either Catherine, Anne, or Jane. Mm. And it's not Jane, and it's not Anne. So it's got to be Catherine. You're going to go with Catherine. Yeah. We certainly appreciate your method of deduction. Uh, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have with us today? Here with us tonight is a professor of history from UCLA whose area of research is Tudor England. It's Dr. Muriel McClendon. Dr. Muriel McClendon. (laughs) Dr. McClendon, welcome. Please pull up right close to that microphone right there. Welcome, Dr. McClendon. Hello. How long have you been teaching history? Let's see, this is my 29th year. Wow. Wow. Very good. How long have you been at UCLA? 29 years. Oh, okay. A loyal Bruin. Yes, yes, indeed. Why Tudor England? What is is your interest in it, and why did you want to study and then teach it? Um, I always tell people, somewhat facetiously, that I watched too much Masterpiece Theater when I was a child. Okay. And I think think that's really true. Okay, and what what about Tudor England fascinates you? Something that clearly fascinated me when I was 12, and that I took with me into my years as an undergraduate, and then I was sunk, and that was, that, that, that was it. So you became a fan from watching uh, television. Sarah mentioned that she became a fan from watching movies. How well do movies and TV shows do it at depicting what Tudor England was like? Not so much. Okay. <laughs> Not so. Yeah. Actually, the show that I watched in the 70s was done by the BBC, and that was really quite good. Mm-hmm. What was it called? Um, the Six Wives of Henry VIII and Elizabeth R. All right, we've got some fans out there. Oh, okay, remember that. Wow. Yeah, this, this is the kind of crowd that will applaud a BBC, doc, a BBC series on Tudor England. It was very good. Yeah. It was very, very good. Other stuff, not so much. Okay, fair enough. That uh, Henry VIII, what a cad, huh? Wouldn't want him to date my sister. <laughs> you actually published a book about Tudor England. Tell us about I that. I have. Um, uh, I'm an urban historian, and so I work on the city in Tudor England that was the second largest city. It's called the city of Norwich, and it had, wait for it, 11,000 people in it. Wow. And that was, that was the second biggest city in England throughout the 16th century. Yeah, so yeah. fun they times. They didn't have plumbing, <laughs> though, so that was already too many people. Yes, right? yes, like, yes. Like some days more than others. Yes, some days yeah. more than others, definitely. <laughs> they definitely. didn't have toilets, guys. Yeah. Uh, what, were, what did you discover in studying about this time that you didn't know already? I was writing about the Reformation, which is often seen as a conflictual and bloody time. And what I found out that in the city of Norwich, that actually people were pretty tolerant. Hmm. Uh, oh. Some of them were. Uh, but there, there was not blood running through the streets. There was very little open and overt conflict. 
Uh, what are students surprised to learn, or what's maybe the hardest thing for students to, to grasp about this time? Um, that Henry VIII was not a Protestant. Oh, interesting. He was not a Protestant, and those would have been fighting words to him if you had called him a Protestant. He would not have been happy. Even though he separated from the Roman Catholic Church, he did not consider himself a Protestant, and he was very mean to people who did consider themselves Protestants. Wait, so he considered himself a Catholic? Yes, he considered himself, himself a good Catholic, oh. and considered that the Pope was not a good Catholic. Did, oh. he, did he have a priest hole? No, he did not. There was a Priest holes were something of the Elizabethan era. Oh, okay, yeah. that was a different time. Yeah. Uh, how do you think historians are going to look back on the current monarchy and you know, the current times of, of Britain? Uh, I don't know, but I'm glad I don't have to do it. That's all, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think the Tudors would have made of Brexit? Oh, I think they would have been, they would have been pretty happy. They liked being on their island. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, people didn't even like people coming from another town into their place. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I thought it was pretty, it's pretty progressive that even though it was such a, a sexist time that they allowed women rulers and, and Elizabeth was such a powerful female. Well, they, they, they had to. That was the, you know, that's what Henry VIII ordered in his will. He so. said. He yep. said, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. This is happening. Yep. Oh. He so. didn't expect it to happen. Uh, <laughs> You're no. just trying to do it to be nice? Or? Well, he, ex he expected, he left the throne to his son Edward, and he expected that Edward would grow up, marry, and have more sons, and that did not happen. Very, very interesting. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked Sarah. Let's remind everyone, Helen. Uh, we wanted to know first, who was the older sister of Henry VIII? Helen, what did Sarah say? Sarah said Mary. And uh, Doctor? I'm afraid not. Mary was his, was his younger sister. Margaret was oh. his elder sister. Oh, but very, very <sighs> close. And now she went on to marry uh, who, and who did she become? Uh, King James of Scotland. And you know what? In my class, I would have given you maybe partial credit okay, for that. Okay, because Mary is maybe, almost yeah. Margaret. Because you got a sister. You got a sister. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, you know what? This is your class. You are the judge. If you want to give her half a point, so, that's well, up to you. Because did, you did get a sister, yeah. Oh. So, all right. Good going. Good yeah. Nice. Well, I, I see we're grading on a curve tonight. Uh, <laughs> I never grade on a curve. No, Wait, no. Don't, don't, don't make me rethink this. I won't. Okay, I will not. Right. I will not. I'm okay. sorry. sorry, Professor. Sorry, Professor. Uh, all right. Next, Helen, we wanted to know who the older brother was. Helen, what did Sarah say? Sarah said Edward. And Dr. McClendon? I'm afraid not. No. What is the Henry's older answer? brother was named Arthur. Henry's son was named Edward. Uh, but his his yeah. elder brother was named no, Arthur. I, I knew the son was named Edward, right. so it's and, not a yeah, yeah. I, I screwed that and up. And why didn't the older brother get to be king? Because he died. Oh, that's a disqualification. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. He, so no, he he died before Henry's father, and so Henry was left to take the throne. All right. Uh, and finally, Helen, we asked Sarah, what was the name of the older brother's wife who later married Henry VIII? Helen, what did Sarah say? Sarah said Catherine. And uh, doctor. Catherine is right. I would ask you which Catherine. Oh, she's I, I'm going to say Aragon, but yes. Oh. Yeah. A point for Sarah. Very good. And now, was it unusual for someone's uh, brother to marry his dead brother's wife? Well, that actually became a bone of contention mm. in the divorce that, that later happened. Uh, they received a dispensation from the church in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And then later on, Henry VIII said, no, that never should have happened. No. Oh, OK. So take it back, take it. it back, take it back. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Sarah Kurtz, anything you'd like to uh, ask our professor here? Oh, wow. <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> no. um, I've always been so. What? Go, Go ahead, ahead, Kurt. I was just gonna say I don't really understand what Tudor England is, but I really I, I liked you coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. No, I think you I speak for a lot it. of listeners, Kurt. 
Uh, Sarah? Well, I just, I mean, it's too long of a question, but it's just, I'm We can always, talk afterwards. Yeah, okay. I, mean, I just loved Elizabeth, and I, like, I'm always so fascinated with, you know, her path of not marrying, not having children, and I just want to get in her head about that. So would we all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dr. McClendon, yeah. if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Uh, look me up on the UCLA History Department website. Excellent. We're so happy that you joined us, Dr. Thank Muriel you. McClendon. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, doctor. Yep. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Sarah Schaefer has four and a half points, and Kurt Brownoller has two and a half with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Kurt about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Kurt and Sarah will go head to head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, we have an announcement on our Jumbotron. How exciting. Yes, I believe it's our first one. Uh, this one says, we just want to take a break to say hello to our friend of the show, Q Fortier. What a cool name. Yeah. Let's, Q I, Fortier. Q Fortier. I guess we should do that then, huh? Hello, Q, Q Fortier. Fortier. Hey. Coolest name ever. Yeah. If you would like to put a message on our Jumbotron, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. That's MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Jumbotron. <laughs> I listen to reading glasses because Bria and Mallory have great tips. If you're a comics reader and you want to use a library-connected app, you can try out Hoopla. I listen for the author interviews. I'm mad at myself that I waited as long as I did to start reading Joan Didion. They give me reading advice I didn't even know I needed. If you go in person to an event and go up to an author or a filmmaker or anybody and tell them what they you don't like about their work, you're a trash baby. I, look, I understand you didn't like Heroes Season 3. That's fine. I, like, <laughs> I don't actually need to know that information. I'm Bria Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. We're Reading Glasses, and we solve all your bookish problems every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Sarah Schaefer with four and a half points and Kurt Brownoller with two and a half points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. we got a great game going here. Kurt, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about science fiction literature, Nietzsche, and movies featuring both Corey's Haim and Feldman. Let's uh, find out more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about science fiction literature. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we are going to call it literature. Um, That's what you told me when you wrote me. Did I say literature? You said science fiction literature. That's interesting. Because I, very little of the science fiction I read would I consider literature. What would you consider it? Uh, trash. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I read a lot of sci-fi trash. I, I think of it as like, um, like it doesn't matter if the writing is bad, if the ideas are cool, mm. then oh. I'm interested. It's like idea porn, really. Oh, okay. oh it's yeah. like uh, sci-fi romance novels. You, I, you know what? One of my favorite, favorite subgenres of sci-fi is time travel romances. Mm. Ooh. Yes, I find them heartbreaking. And uh, very upsetting, but beautiful, <laughs> very beautiful. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Uh, next, you said you know a lot about Nietzsche. Uh, I mean, again, the shakiest one. This goes back to college. Uh, I was a philosophy major, and I was going to be a philosophy professor until oh, wow. I discovered comedy. Uh, and I, yeah, Nietzsche was like, and also, if we're looking at like the, the philosophers, like Nietzsche is definitely like the 14 year old boy of all the philosophers, I think. <laughs> um, 
But he did have kind of like the, I think I lived my life based on one of his like primary tenets, which what, was that like life is essentially meaningless and the only way we can create meaning is through the creation of art. Um, oh. And that oh. I thought that that That's was beautiful. kind of the meaning of life. Nice. Until I had a kid, and now it's about having a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Great message for all you childless listeners out there. Uh, and then finally, you said you know a lot about movies that feature both Corey's Haim and Feldman. Yes, I do. Uh, this is yeah. I just I I was obsessed as a child. Yeah, as a, like a twelve year old, thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. Really, I, just love the Corys. Are there that many of movies? There's a there's enormous amount where they both were featured because they were they were like a, a ticket together. Mm. Like after Lost Boys in 1987, I think. Then they were like, oh, these two, everybody, they're they're teen heartthrobs. Mm-hmm. People love them. Put them in everything together, and it was just it was fascinating. Yeah, how many? I mean, it's you know, it's a handful, but still, it's like not. There's no two actors that kind of just are like they're known for just doing movies together. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, Hepburn. And- Tracy, you know, forget that. But that's a, but yeah. that's like a romantic oh, okay, partnership. Yeah, you, mean buddies, you know what I mean? Where it's just stuff, like, yeah. oh, we love them as a couple. These were just right. like buddies. Right. I mean, you know, Seth Rogen and James Franco, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe that's very common. But <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm just teasing you. But I think the Corys maybe were the first. <laughs> which is your favorite of the? I believe they did precede uh, the others. Yeah. Oh, which is your favorite of the of the uh, Corys films? You can't choose. Oh, the favorite of the Corys films. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a tie between uh, License to Drive and uh, Dream a Little Dream. Oh, that is, yeah. a, that is quite a double feature. You yeah. thought he was asking you to pick a Corey. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, you yeah. couldn't. And you I couldn't. couldn't. No, I that's mean, a real like, Corey's choice. It's you, the, re- the reason they were so successful together. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, the reason they were so successful together is they're perfect yeah. cl- perfectly complementary. All right, so to summarize, Kurt, you said you know a lot about science fiction literature, Nietzsche, and movies featuring both Corey's Heyman Feldman. And today we're going to quiz you about science fiction literature. All right. I was, I had fingers crossed that the special guest was Corey Haim, but okay. Wow, that, that would have been a get. Um, what, what are some of your favorite uh, science fiction uh, novels, for instance, that you've read? I would say, again, if you're going to say, like, good science fiction mm-hmm. or, like, meaningful science I would break it down to, like, uh, meaningful and then things that I just really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaningful science fiction is probably uh, either Neuromancer by William Gibson or Vallis by Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. And then, like, trash science fiction... It's not trash. It's still good. It would be like uh, uh, Hyperion by Dan Simmons. All right. And how far back do you go? Do you go to the, to the origins of science fiction or do you stay current? I say mostly current. I read a lot of, uh, I read some Asimov and Heinlein and Arthur C. Clarke and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, I did like the 60s version. The 50s version of science fiction is just like rocket goes boom, you know? <laughs> Uh, I mean, then, they weren't wrong. They did predict that correctly. <laughs> right, the rocket right. did go boom. But then the 60s, like, it was really for, like, 12-year-olds in the mm-hmm. 50s. And now it's still for 12-year-olds, but now, like, the ideas have gotten a little more complex. Uh, and then the 60s was, I think, when science fiction really started getting, like, fascinating and talking about, like, society and stuff like that. How did you get into it originally? Uh, well, uh, I, 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 my, my mom's dead now, so I, I don't know if this is true, but in my mind, I was named after Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, um, wow. But I'm, I'm, I, I like that as a, as a narrative, so yeah. I embraced it as a child, but I'm not sure if it's actually true and I can't ask her. And my dad always lies, so... Um, <laughs> 
And so uh, I, I would like to say that. It's through Kurt Vonnegut. So I read all of Vonnegut's books when I was like 13 or 12. Um, and that's how I kind of launched me into sci-fi. And it's still a, a love that you have today. So it's, it's ongoing. Like you'll get the newest versions of... Oh, yeah. I just... I will... I'm always looking for like new stuff. Like I read all of the Hugo and Nebula Award winners. Oh, interesting. Uh, or I try to at least, okay. you know. And so I just have a bunch in my Kindle. And as soon as I finish one, I just go and like look at the next one. I'm like, oh, this one. All right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic to test your mastery in the subject with an uh -huh. expert-level question. But first, we're going to let you show off with five trivia questions. Uh, Sarah, do listen closely because you can steal if Kurt gets any of them wrong. By the way, Sarah, how much do you know about science fiction literature? Absolutely nothing. I mean, like, this is going to be <laughs> just your time, Kurt. Yeah. It's, it's your, your time, time to shine, Kurt. It's your All time right, to shine. Indeed. All right, Kurt, here's your first question about science fiction literature. Kurt, a few different people have been called the father of science fiction, but only one of them wrote the classics The Time Machine and War of the Worlds. H. Who is G it? H.G. Wells. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Couldn't even wait for the question to end. Uh, fun fact, his first names were Herbert George. Ooh, Herbert George. I did not know that. Yeah, see, some facts are fun, Helen. Uh-huh. Also, also, <laughs> also, perhaps fun fact, my other grandfather's name was Herbert. Mm-hmm. Super, super fun. Number two. <laughs> I love Helen Hong. I can't help it. I can't help it. Number two, Kurt. Even fewer people have been called the mother of science fiction, namely this London author who published her most famous novel and one of the most famous stories of all time in 1818 when she was 20 years old. Uh, that would be Mary... Uh, uh, it's Frankenstein. Mary Shelley. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Uh, the alternate title for that book, Frankenstein, was The Modern Prometheus. Oh, really? Yes. I would have thought Kurt it likes was... my facts, Helen. I thought it would have been Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Frankenstein is the doctor, is what it was called. In the the modern Prometheus is yeah. very clunky. I don't think it would have taken off. Yeah. Uh, question number three, Kurt, you're two for two. First published in 1926, what periodical was the first magazine devoted solely to science fiction? Ooh, this is a good one. Um, you do have a hint available if you'd like it. Right. Uh... Yeah, I, uh, oh, it's something like Marvels and something. All right, yeah, what, I will take the hint. Helen, how about that first hint? It was adapted by Steven Spielberg into a TV series in 1985. Amazing Stories? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Good use of the hint. You're three for three. Here's question number four. Isaac Asimov, as we mentioned earlier, famously published his Three Laws of Robotics in 1942 and used and expanded on them in several stories. What is the first law of robotics? Uh, that w it will do no harm. The robot will do no harm. A little more specific, please. Do no harm. Uh, do not hurt humans. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, yes. <laughs> Specifically, a robot may not injure a human being or, through an action, allow a human being to come to harm. Okay. Fun fact, Isaac Asimov hosted his own science fiction anthology program from 1985 to 1992 on HBO and USA. Kurt didn't care for that fact? I was drinking water. Okay, very wow. good. Wow. Thanks, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> what an actor. I'm sorry, Jakey. We're, oh, no, no. we're it's slagging all, it's all on his fun facts. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, just because I spend a lot of time writing them, it's totally... <laughs> Totally fine. Uh, Kurt, you have a chance to go five for five. Here's this question. Sci-fi books are big business. In fact, Amazon announced that its best-selling fiction book last year was a sci-fi novel that was first published in 2011. What was it? Oh, wow. Okay, in 2011, uh, I'm going to say... Oh, I can ask for a hint you here, You do have a second too. hint if you'd like it. Uh, can I say my guess and then ask for the hint? 
I no. Guess. Or I, I mean, can just go for the hint, right? And you, like live life. I mean, that's how most people, right? yeah. I'm I mean, just, you know, I'm, life is meaningless, so you might as well ask for a hint. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say The Wind-Up Girl, which by Paolo Bacalioce. I can't pronounce his name or remember how you say it, but I'm going to say The Wind-Up Girl. Helen? That is not, not correct. Not correct. Uh, Sarah with a chance to steal. What was the question again? <laughs> name anything about sci-fi. What was the question again? <laughs> no, no, no. The question is, what was Amazon's top-selling fiction book of 2018 that was actually a, a novel published first in 2011? Uh, can I guess again? Uh, oh. You can I tell Sarah what to guess. The road? Guess, I don't know. Guess the three-body problem. What? That's the name of a book. The, the three-body problem. The three-body problem. Helen? That is not, not correct. No, I'm sorry. No, I think the hint would have helped because this book was adapted by Steven Spielberg into a movie last year. It's Ready Player One. Uh, Ready Player One was the best-selling fiction novel on Amazon. Yeah. All right. Uh, you, did, you stumbled a little bit there but still did very well in the round, Kurt. Now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Uh-oh. Nice. <laughs> it is worth up to three points. Kurt, one of the most famous series of sci-fi literature are the books and short stories from the Tales of Known Space series, which started with a story published in Worlds of If in 1964, but really took off with a novel in 1970 that won the Nebula, Hugo, and Locus Awards. That novel spawned four sequels, the most recent of which came out in 2012. For up to three points, what was the classic 1970 novel? Name one of its four sequels, and who was the author who wrote them? 1970. Mm-hmm. I mean, my I, I have two guesses, and I'll walk you through them. Please One do. is that it's Larry Niven's mm-hmm. Ring World, and it's the Ring World series. Another guess is that it's um, oh, what, uh, 1970. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the fir- uh, John Scalzi? Oh, it's John Scalzi because he just published. I think John Scalzi's Forever War, and then oh, I don't know the name of the series. Uh, just one of the sequels. Oh, one of the sequels, mm-hmm. um, Old Man's War. Old Man's War. All right, so Dan, it's John Scalzi. Is that how it's said? Yeah, I think right. so. Or, is, or am I thinking of, is that not Scalzi's book? Uh, I'm going to say John Scalzi anyway. Okay, John Scalzi, and then the 1970 book again is? Uh, Forever War. Okay, and again, the, one of the sequels is? Uh, Old Man's War. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have today? Here with us tonight is a best-selling science fiction author who's won numerous accolades, including the Nebula, Hugo, and Locus Awards. It's science fiction legend Larry Niven. Larry Niven, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Mr. Niven shaking hands with Kurt. Staring him down, perhaps. Oh. Have a seat, please, Mr. Niven. <laughs> oh Mr. Niven oh is God. throwing some eye shade. Yes. Now, Larry Niven, that's, I've heard that name before, Helen, haven't I? <laughs> Hello, Mr. Niven. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So, uh, Mr. Niven, uh, in addition to writing uh, these best-selling novels, you've also written for television. You wrote for Land of the Lost, Outer Limits, and comics as well. What, what is your favorite genre or medium, I guess, to, to write in? I would guess short stories. Short stories, okay. I'd be best with short stories. Great. Yeah, this is writing I'm talking about, but also reading. You're reading as well. I tend to read a lot of short stories. Okay. How did you get into writing sci-fi? Was that what you were always doing when you started writing? Uh, I ran out of options. (laughs) (laughs) I was daydreaming in class, every class. Uh, I I managed to graduate with a bachelor's in mathematics. Mm a minor in psychology, 
just because I'd been taking classes for, uh, for the fun of it. And I wound up with not much that would get me a job. And how did you think that science fiction would be uh, profitable for you? Uh, it, it wasn't that I thought it could be popular. I knew it was popular, mm -hmm. and it was, all the, it was most of the reading I was doing. Okay. So you were familiar already with the genre? I, I was Johnny OneNote. Okay. Uh, and the note you sang was this. Uh, who were some of the authors that, uh, that, that influenced you that you liked reading at that time before you started writing yourself? Uh, let's say all of them. I needed techniques from, uh, from all of them. Fritz Leiber, Jack Vance, Poole Anderson, Robert Heinlein, mm -hmm. Hal Clement. Now, uh, Kurt divided science fiction into serious and trash. Which do you write? <laughs> I write literature. Literature, there it is, Kurt. That's true. It's very true. That's why he missed all those questions. Very good. Now, we, uh, we asked a question earlier of Kurt about Asimov's laws. You actually have your own laws that you've written. Uh, yes, yes, I did, but they've changed from time to, to mm -hmm. time. Uh, and, and there's about 25 of them. Well, number one, I believe, has stayed the same, and I find very amusing. What is, law, what is Niven's law number one? Laws number one, A and B. Uh, never throw rocks at an armed man. <laughs> no, sorry, it's never throw shit at an armed man. Yes, and, num and B? And never stand next to somebody who is throwing shit at an armed man. <laughs> a very solid law, a great way to live your life. Uh, that's one one... not a bumper sticker already. No, no, really. Uh, another one that I like that I didn't quite understand, never let a waiter escape. This is just a matter of politeness, guys. <laughs> okay. Some forms of politeness are just plain common sense. Mm -hmm. You don't ignore a waiter because you're in conversation. Because a waiter doesn't have to come back. That is so Very true. Oh, yes. my God. And then the last one I want to ask you about, you said you've added to them over the years. I'm guessing this one came uh, later on. It said, old age is not for sissies. Uh-huh. I'm not even sure I'm the first to say that. <laughs> but I, I've certainly tested it. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Uh, you've done more collaborations in, in recent years. What is it like to, to share a world that you've created with others? It's just like being young again, really. We used to do this in college, sharing, sharing ideas, testing ideas, uh, work, working up scenarios. I love it. It's less lonely than sitting alone in, a, in, a, in your room uh, running through your head. Is there a camaraderie that you have with other science fiction authors? Like, do you guys hang out? Do you talk about ideas? Well, we've tested, we've helped each other, various collaborators. My favorite was uh, Jerry Purnell, who's deceased now. Let's see, he helped me, he helped me with The Burning City until he'd done enough work, he thought he ought to invite himself in. And he did that. But also, In Constant Moon, short story, uh, I couldn't finish it until Jerry reminded me that I'm, I'm an optimist. <laughs> it's good to have friends for that, isn't it? Uh, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked of Kurt. Helen, let's remind everyone of the answers. First, we wanted to know, what was that classic novel from 1970 that won the Nebula, Hugo, and Locus Awards? Helen, what did Kurt say? Kurt said, Forever War. And I would like to point out that my <laughs> first answer was Larry Niffin's you, Ring You World. did consider that, but that okay. is not what you said. Did he, did, is, was he correct, Larry Niffin? He had several good answers one of which is correct, but he missed it. He did miss that, no points there. R Ringworld is the novel he was looking for. That's right, and uh, that, of course, Ringworld. 
Which, of course, probably means he did not get the others correct. No points there. Let's go over the correct yeah, I, answers. I was, think he got the dates wrong. He got the dates a little bit wrong. But, but you, did, you did consider uh, Ringworld. So Ringworld was the correct answer. Uh, we asked him about what the sequels were. Those, of course, were the Ringworld Engineers, the Ringworld Throne, and Ringworld's Children, and then Fate of Worlds was the more recent one in 2012. And then, of course, Helen, we asked him who was that author that we were speaking of. Helen, what did Kurt say? Kurt said John Scalzi. So who did write Ringworld and those sequels? Uh, Larry Niven. Larry Niven did, ladies and gentlemen. Larry Niven, if people want to find your books or find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, there are bookstores. You may have heard of them. <laughs> Very good. You also have a, a, a website, LarryNiven-L.org. That is, uh, if you like to talk about me. <laughs> We're certainly happy to talk with you. Larry Niven, ladies and gentlemen, what an honor. Larry Niven, thank you so much, sir. Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? At the end of that round, Sarah Schaefer has four and a half points, and Kurt Brownaller has six and a half points. <laughs> All right, now it is time for our final round. We call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Sarah and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Sarah, this show is a podcast. True. Correct. Kurt, most podcasts are aired live. False. Correct. Sarah, Dr. Drew has a podcast. True. Correct. Kurt, Dr. Oz has a podcast. False. Incorrect. No, he does. Sarah, Dr. Pepper has a podcast. Oh, it better be false. Correct. <laughs> you don't want to hear what Dr. Pepper has to say? <laughs> uh, Kurt, Dr. Phil has a podcast. True. Correct. Sarah, Dr. Phil's podcast is called the Dr. Phil Podcast. True. Incorrect. Kurt, it's called Get Your Phil. <laughs> false. False. Correct. Sarah, it's called Fulfilled. False. Correct. Kurt, it's called Fill in the Blanks. False. Incorrect. No. <laughs> and finally, Sarah, Ew. finally, Sarah, I've listened to every episode and it has changed my life. Oh, that's the, is that true or false? You. Yes. Okay. You're taking a lot more time to think about this than false. I would have guessed. No, false. it's actually a joke anyway. We're not really false. counting that one. Oh, okay. Give a nice hand to both of our guests, Kurt Brownaller and Sarah Schaefer, as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of today's episode? I am. At the end of the game, Sarah Schaefer has eight and a half points, and Kurt Brownaller has nine and a half oh, points. Very close game. Congratulations, Kurt. Our competitors shaking hands. Kurt, you are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Kurt, what will you do with your championship? I will spend it on wisely. <laughs> well, life doesn't matter, so why not? Uh, let's give everyone a chance to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Sarah, where can people find you, and what do you have going on? Um, just two things. My album Live, Laugh, Love is available right now on all the things that you would find an album on. Mm -hmm. And you can also get uh, physical handmade items by me on my Etsy shop. Stop it! Etsy.com Bobo's Nook. <laughs> From her nook, it's oh. Sarah Schaefer! Kurt, my friend, what do you have going on? Uh, I'm on the new uh, Showtime show called Black Monday. Uh, and uh, I've got a, uh, I'm in a small part in a movie uh, that's tentatively titled Flarsky uh, with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Nice. Ooh. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, Kurt Brownhaller. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are such lucky people because my partner here is Ms. Helen Hong. Hi. You can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com and please follow me on the socials at FunnyHelenHong because the other Helen Hong is not funny. No, if you want Funny Helen Hong, you want this Helen Hong. 
Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Kurt Brownaller, Sarah Schaefer, Dr. Muriel McClendon, Larry Niven, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, like Cult of Knowledge did. He, she, or they said, I prefer to listen to shows that you get a chance to learn something. Everyone prefers shows that are entertaining and enjoyable. With this show, you get both. Give it a listen. Thanks, Cult of Knowledge. Do give us a listen. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Mark Johnson, Cody Lawrence, Bob Skier, Barry Hahn at the Surfing Heritage Foundation, Leora Saul, Mike Avianos, Caitlin Miller, Dave Bianchi, Hal Miller, and Christine Velada. I'm Helen Hong. Let's read science fiction. Hey, this is Jay Keith. You're going to want to listen to our next episode because we've got Shenny Jardin. I remember when we were first debating whether to even allow comments on the blog, my colleague, there was another big tech site at the time that had comments where you could vote up or vote down. And I remember him saying, there's something about this, this trend that exists in the internet of people essentially rating each other's uh, content that, that seems like it's going to lead to something bad. It's going to, it's too much like Facebook. Oh, and I, boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd only know. And Dave Anthony. Johnny Appleseed, was, he was out there giving people apples so they could make liquor. <laughs> he wasn't giving apples to people for apples. Oh, oh. The whole you idea was know this. he would run around the country giving wow. people different kinds of apples so wow. they could make their own booze. Oh, I did not know that. Me? Yeah, yeah. You're, this isn't a joke. No, that's real. No, oh, that's wow. real. That's real. Wow. <laughs> Plus a very special guest expert. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a Grammy-winning actor, writer, musician, and cannabis rights <gasps> activist. It's comedy legend Tommy Chong! Tommy Chong, ladies and gentlemen! <laughs> <laughs> That's Go Fact Yourself, every first and third Friday, right here at MaximumFun.org. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.